Welcome, fans of the Justice League universe. My name is Sam. And I'm Alessandro. And we are two members of the JLU podcast team who enjoy analyzing the DC films from Warner Brothers Studios. Other contributors to this analysis are Rebecca Johnson, Sydney, and Nick Begovich. You can find us all on Twitter, and you can follow the show at JLU Podcast. And in this episode, we are going to discuss scenes 8 and 9 of Justice League, which are the scenes where uh, we see Silas Stone and Star Labs, and uh, the main part of the scenes here will be Silas talking to Vic in the apartment, and then there's a quick little tag at the end with Howard the Janitor walking into some trouble there at Star Labs. Um, but for these scenes overall, let's start by just thinking about them on kind of a big picture view. What do they contribute to the movie? What are kind of the main character moments that kind of come from it? And obviously, it's Vic Stone is, you know, the, the centerpiece of, of these scenes here. One thing that this scene does uh, that I appreciate is it parallels where we just came. We just saw Barry Allen with Henry. So we have some father-son dynamics, and we see what Barry is kind of dealing with right now. Uh, and now we have that paralleled with Vic and Silas Stone, and we can see that their relationship uh, you know, has some tension in it as well, and Vic is obviously dealing with something pretty severe. So I like the parallel between the father-son thing, and of course a big part of the scene is just putting Vic and getting him started in the movie. Yeah, and pretty much all the characters have some sort of father-son uh, relationship that uh, contributes to who they are and from Superman with uh, Jor-El and with Jonathan Kent obviously Bruce Wayne and his father passing when he was young even Diana and you know although she has, didn't really uh, know Zeus the fact that she never knew him actually there's certainly um, you know something to consider there so every character has some sort of tension or some sort of character building to do with their father mm-hmm. yeah um, Aquaman might be the exception but in this movie but we know that the father is going to play a, a important role of some kind in the Aquaman film so I think his will be part of the mix there as well pretty soon and you never know maybe originally they were going to touch on that but mm-hmm. uh, hopefully someday we'll we'll see, we'll find out for sure yeah but I really like this uh, this shot where when this scene opens because it gives us a look uh, at the um, Black Zero site where Star Labs is. Yeah, so we can uh, go into the scene. So yeah, and I know you and I are big fans of Man of Steel and especially BVS. So this kind of stuff here, you know, just warms our hearts because we're seeing direct connective t- tissue to Man of Steel and BVS. This is a setting, uh, you know, the cityscape, um, which in some sense kind of looks like Chicago, but we think of it as Metropolis and then the scout ship being very recognizable. And for us, it taps into a lot of meaning, a lot of history connections to this site. Absolutely. Now the top of the scout ship, like, you know, in BVS, the covering went all the way over the top, I think, and like Doomsday busted up through it or whatever. Right. And now that it has like an open top on it. So that is a difference if I'm not mistaken. Correct. Uh, and Star Labs has you know, totally set up shop. And later Silas will say that, you know, we're learning a lot from this Kryptonian ship. So they've put Lex Luthor aside and now we have some kind of more official people trying to glean whatever information they can from the Kryptonian technology. So obviously a lot to learn and it's probably a big endeavor to try to get the information from this place. Yep. (laughs) And, and obviously Victor is still, I mean, Silas is still researching the technology uh, and, 
as we know, he's still interested in the mother box. Uh, and we saw in BVS uh, that he was using the mother box, but here it doesn't seem to be present. And we learn later that Victor took it from him mm-hmm. because he didn't want, I guess, uh, his father doing to someone else what he did to him. Yeah. So presumably, if he still had the box, he'd be working with that. But here in this scene, we see him sort of ending his day uh, simply with the computers and the information that he's dealing with. Yeah, and that's one thing that I think is one of many interesting dynamics in the scene is that I'm kind of wondering, like, is Silas more passionate and more interested in the knowledge that he's gaining and the information and technology that he's unlocking even above his own son, his own, like, flesh and blood? And, you know, he seems to care for his son, but he seems to be even more passionate about, like, oh, what we could do with the change engine or you won't believe what we're finding out. To me, it, it seems like uh, he has actually his work and his Star Lab stuff taking top priority. And then Vic, he cares about, but it seems like Vic is second. Yeah, and I think it seems that way to Victor as well. Yeah. Especially with, uh, you know, how he talks to his father. You know, if you put yourself in kind of Vic's shoes, you would really be wondering, like, even when you, my father, show interest in me, are you actually just showing interest in the technological side of me, the fact that I was created with this mother box and stuff? And so it's kind of like it would cast doubt, even on the times when Silas is showing interest and compassion for his son. That is even doubtful because maybe it's just because of his work. (laughs) Well, I mean, I don't think there's any question that he did set out to save his son. Mm -hmm. but, But once he was able to do that, now his priorities have sort of shifted. You know, he has his son back, but now he's just now he's interested in the technology. But obviously he still has to work on his relationship with his son because the way his son feels, you know, he he feels like he's not himself anymore. But Silas is just happy to see his son walking around, even regardless of, you know, how he appears and the fact that he has this technology on him. Yeah. Um, going back into the Star Labs bit, so there's a bunch of stuff on computer screens. I'm not really going to get into what you might be able to make out of those screens. It's not our kind of thing. But uh, as he's exiting, he does say, you know, lab's all yours, Howard. So he's exiting. And then there's this little dialogue with Howard the janitor. Now, I like this part with Howard the janitor because I think it's a pretty uh, efficient way to plant several seeds. Like Howard says, you know, I never got to tell you, you know, Vic is a great kid. I'm sorry about the accident, that sort of thing. And that does a lot of work expositionally. Like, it lets us know that there was an accident. It lets us know that Silas's son, you know, must have tragically, uh, seems like he died. Um, And we heard before from Bruce and Alfred saying he's deceased. So it kind of adds to that part of it. But we also get to see that uh, Silas is continuing on and he's working. And he has not told people at work that Vic is alive. Right, because here's this janitor like saying like, "Oh, it was, you know, such an accident, such a tragedy to lose him," and then Silas just says, "You know, thanks." He doesn't say, "Oh, he's alive." You know, I saved him. He's back at the apartment. So it like it lets us know like, "Oh, there's kind of some secrecy here." Silas is keeping this like close to the chest. Yeah, and I see what you mean as far as how this scene sort of gives us a lot of information. Uh, Howard even mentions that 11:30 is an early night for Silas. Mm-hmm. Which leads us to believe that, you know, Silas 
isn't really spending much time with his son now that he's back. Right. But on a personal level, I felt like this scene, for me, felt a bit awkward. Uh, and I would have preferred it done a little differently. I will definitely join you in that with the uh, the little tag with Howard at the end of this little bit that we'll get to. Um, I will join you with the kind of awkwardness of it. This starting part, I was kind of okay with it. To me, it's a little bit of an on-ramp for Silas. You know, like, okay, let's see where he's coming from, get a little bit of a, you know, context for then when he goes to his apartment. So I was okay with it. But uh, yeah, this uh, Howard character is going to let me down uh, in the rest of the movie, <laughs> his other <laughs> little little parts. Right. Yeah. Um, it's nice, though, to hear him, too, say that, you know, Victor was a wonderful kid. Uh, so, you know, we're kind of hearing that people had positive feelings about Vic when he was alive, and so now it's really a change. He's a changed person now, being this, you know, half-man, half-machine kind of thing. I think for me it's uh, it's effective storytelling to make me kind of wish that I had seen Vic when he was just human and happy and, you know, football star, you know, genius IQ, that sort of thing. But it almost makes it more dramatic and more tragic that we don't see that, we just hear allusions to it, and then we see him now where he is. I would love a cyborg film at some point, but for this film, I think it's actually a really nice way to come into the character. Like we come into him when he's already dealing with these issues and he's already in his dramatic kind of space. We don't have a like happy little, here's the status quo. Here's this happy little kid. Oh no, an accident happens. Now he's going down this other path. I like that we kind of come right into the middle of it. Yeah. And I mean, flashbacks would have been nice to sort of fill those gaps a little bit and then flesh it out in a, a solo movie. But I do find it strange that Howard seems to have known Victor so well to to say that he's he was such a good kid. I mean, does Silas really have this that sort of relationship with Howard that he would have spent time with with Victor? I don't know. It's possible, but that's another part of the awkwardness. Yeah. Of this scene. Yeah, the way that it could be the way that I thought about that one was just that maybe Vic was the kind of son who like hangs around the lab a lot. Um and I guess that means, like, wherever Silas was based before this, Howard must have, like, you know, Howard must be a longtime Star Labs janitor because you probably have to go through clearance and everything. So once you're in that job, you probably hopefully stay there for a long time. And I imagine Vic as, like, the kind of son who comes in and sees his dad a lot and is interested in what his dad is doing and stuff like that. Especially if Vic really is, like, genius level IQ, he might be very interested in the kind of stuff Silas is working on. And then if a son is around the workplace, he's not always going to be able to talk and, you know, rub elbows with the high level stuff that's going on. He might be kind of off to the side and then he might just be friendly and, you know, chat with the janitor and kind of get to know him. Um, I see what you mean, but then you have to consider security clearance. Would would Victor even have the security clearance to even get into there? Yeah, that's true. Like, would Star Labs allow families to come visit or would it be really kind of locked down sort of thing? To make it work, you'd have to assume that family visitation was was allowed, or Vic, right. you know, Vic did a student internship or something and got cleared through to be able to come. Which, you know, it's it's the movie universe; anything is possible. But so uh, let's shift into the apartment scene. So uh, it opens up with uh, some photographs uh, that we see the kind of happy family. So these are like the before pictures. Yeah, I so like that we get to see with... images of his mother there. Mm-hmm. I think that was cool addition. Yeah, yeah. Both pictures are the the three of them together, uh, and the second one you can see, uh, you know, Ray Fisher as Vic really clearly with his parents smiling. And presumably, from rumors, perhaps 
the mother played a, a slightly larger role in the film in flashbacks, but uh, again, we're not sure. But as far as the theatrical cut, it's nice to again see those images and the the happy family, and in contrast to now the the turmoil that they face. Yeah, uh, I really like the camera work here, where the we end up seeing Vic in the reflection of the glass on the photograph. So we're looking at the photograph and then all of a sudden we can kind of see his shape reflected in the glass. And then right after this in the scene, we see Vic reflected in the window. So to me, this, again, it parallels Barry Allen, uh, where Barry Allen had the prison glass between and they kind of played with the reflectiveness of that. The father reflected in the sun and that sort of thing. It's also kind of used, I think, as a motif for like people that are really contemplating themselves and their situation. You usually kind of put a reflection so that they're kind of looking at themselves to show that they're really thinking about their situation and things like that. I think that's like a common film technique. And it makes sense for Barry and Vic because both of them are kind of like, they don't really have a direction, a clear direction in their life yet. They're, they're both kind of spinning their wheels, so to speak. Um, and so that is the kind of time when you would be like, really reflecting on yourself and thinking about what's going on in your life, who am I, that sort of thing. To me, it also, with Vic, brings up this idea of he's a shadow of his former self. So in the photo, you know, there's his former self, and now he's just this, you know, pale reflection of it or the shadow of his former self. Well, that sort of touches uh, a little bit on um, our episode of Wonder Woman, where Wonder Woman faces, uh, finally faces Sir Patrick, I believe in that episode we touched on, or I mentioned how when characters see things through glass, it seems to be some sort of warped reality. And in this situation, Hmm. Victor is looking at himself in that reflection of the the glass. And to him, you know, he's, he's Victor, but he's seeing something other than who he, he is. So it's sort of like a warped reality for him of what, uh, you know, what he is versus what, you know, he he should be or or was. So that's interesting. And it's cool how you can see the red eye briefly in this quick shot through the reflection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a nice way to look at it, too. So getting into the scene, yeah, they, it, you know, it kind of lets you know that we're going to have some good camera work. Uh, the mood of the scene is very dark. It's, you know, it's late at night, around midnight or so. There's only a few little lamps in the room, but they're not really casting very much light. Uh, and I think that fits with the status of their relationship and how Vic is feeling. I think the darkness of this scene totally makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, now, I had seen something online to suggest that I, I don't remember exactly, but I think this scene might have been shot digitally if i'm not mistaken yeah i saw that recently somebody saw like a behind the scenes photo where you could see the camera and it looked like a digital camera instead of a film camera right so possibly this is slightly altered but presumably the the uh the scene is probably uh pretty still pretty much what was intended yeah to me the i mean so this is just based on my hunch, the dialogue to me feels like Terrio kind of dialogue. Right. There seems to be a lot of well-crafted meaning into each line. So for me, that seems like it's kind of part of it. But yeah, the digital camera suggests that it might have been shot by not Zack Snyder. Um, 
But like to me, I think the directing in the scene is actually pretty so- strong. I think it has again like good little camera work, um, putting some artistic touches on the way that they use the camera and frame shots. And I think too the blocking between the characters starting farther apart than moving together. And then uh, Vic kind of getting the upper hand and letting his feelings be voiced as he kind of takes the more top position of the of the dialogue. It all kind of matches in the way that it's blocked. So like for me, it's a effectively directed scene. So I can just say that with regardless of whoever directed it, I feel like this one is a pretty strong scene in my opinion. Yeah, I can agree with that. But definitely uh, the dialogue is strong. Mm-hmm. I like how there's a lot packed in these these lines that uh you know a more extensive analysis could probably be done trapped in a cage processing the the choice of words uh, you know certainly are pretty well crafted uh and it really works with the the tone and the dynamic of their relationship also how it's sort of, and it's the way Victor speaks uh, you know, obviously we don't know how he's, if he always spoke this way, but there's a certain eloquence to how he speaks. And, mm-hmm. you know, it may have been a result of the the new, you know, the new technology in him and how he perceives things now and, and thinks differently. Yeah, I think, and I think it was pretty consistent to me. It was through the film, Victor uh, Cyborg seemed like a pretty consistent character, like as he was speaking he always seemed to have this like way that he speaks. Sure, but before he became cyborg, who knows? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Maybe, maybe this new technology has affected him in that way also. Yeah, definitely could be. That's interesting to think about. So, getting into the dialogue, so uh, Silas says, "You're not stuck up here," which is kind of a funny thing to say because, like, could he really go around? Like, he, like Silas tells him, "You can have a life. You can do more." I agree, he could have a life. He could do things. But I'm not sure if he could really just go out on the town and <laughs> go into the grocery store and everything like that. And if he believed that, why not tell Howard about his son? Right. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's a... But again, that that I think actually might be the point, right? That Silas is kind of a little bit contradictory or a little bit sending mixed messages. Right. Yeah. And then I like this, too. This is where I say, like, to me, it feels like Terry dialogue because he says, you know, like, you don't have to be up here brooding. And then Victor says, I'm processing, which I like that, too, kind of just reframing that idea of uh, not brooding, processing to kind of let us know and to let his dad know, like, I've got a lot of stuff going on and I'm, I'm dealing with this thing that you have no idea about. And of course, his father quickly goes into wanting to work with the change engine again yeah and he gets pretty excited about that right (laughs) yeah yeah and he and that feeds right off what vic was saying because vic says you know i I can access everything but i can't put it all together and so silas sees that as an opening as like hey we could work on this like we could get into the technology we could bring that change engine or mother box uh back out and work on it you know and, and he definitely comes forward and seems eager about that part of it but see now silas's lines here May I mean, depending on how you look at it, could seem a bit forced when he he does get excited about it, mm-hmm. and and in that respect, it almost seems like there's that possibility that in order to sort of make the story flow and sort of prepare you for what's going to happen later, they may have sort of shoehorned this dialogue, this the, his reaction about. 
connecting the change engine with the Kryptonian ship, because as we see later on, Victor does just that. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of introducing that concept now for later, Yeah, which wasn't really necessary, but, you know, so they do that, and, you know, it's possible that they, they sort of shoehorn that in in order to sort of prepare audiences for that. I think it definitely was doing that, but I think it works because to me, I read it as Silas being really more excited about the technology and not always very sensitive to his son's feelings. Right. And that's certainly, well, I mean, we haven't seen much of their relationship other than, you know, this. So Mm -hmm. it's possible that he always prioritized work over his family. Yeah. And actually, I think I might have even read rumors about how... Uh, he was supposed to show up to his son's football game and he was working and he missed it or something. Yeah. So I think, and that's how it is handled in the comics, I think, or, you know, at least the recent versions of Cyborg, it is that kind of thing where there was the distance and, uh, you know, Vic feeling like his dad kind of leaves him out quite a bit for work. Right. But then I think it's good too. here. We get like, we find out, like you said, that Vic actually has the change engine, a.k.a. Motherbox. Right, right, right. Um, so Silas does not have it in his possession anymore. So that's an important little thing for us to know. Definitely. And the other thing, too, is um, Vic says, you know, I'm not I'm not going to give you the change engine. And he says, because I don't want you to do to someone else what you did to me. So it kind of lets us know, like, how Vic feels about his own situation. And he's not totally thrilled about it at all. I do find it interesting that for such an advanced being with this new technology that Cyborg still isn't able to program the clock on the, the stove because it still <laughs> reads 12 o'clock. <laughs> that might be like a nice just little inside joke, right? That this is the most <laughs> advanced being on the planet. And yeah, that would be a funny joke actually for the set, whoever decorated the set or whatever. <laughs> Uh, now, the, the line that he, he says about seeing the monster and then Silas assuming that he's talking about himself, mm-hmm. I found this particular dialogue, you know, in, as opposed to everything else, kind of strange. And other people that I've talked to about it sort of agree that Victor assuming that Victor says that Silas is assuming that he's talking about himself, but of course he would think that because of the way that they're talking. And it seems kind of silly that Victor would suggest that Silas should think of himself as the monster, even though I understand the, the, the Frankenstein reference. It just seems awkward. Like, of course he'd be thinking that you're talking about yourself. Cause I don't know. How do you yeah. feel about it? Um, the way that you're kind of describing it was my first reaction to it. But then upon like subsequent viewings of it, I can see I can see exactly like how it played off. And I think it, it kind of depends on that they have had previous disagreements about the way that Silas, you know, saved Cyborg and that he kind of did that presumably like without, you know, uh, Vic's consent and that sort of thing. And, you know, like, yeah, Silas wanted to save his life, but at what cost? And you have lost your son anyway. So, like, to me, if you if you assume they have had this disagreement and conflict in the past about Vic actually resenting what Silas has inflicted upon him, then I think it kind of makes sense that, like, Vic is saying, like, no, remember, I'm actually blaming you. I think you made the mistake. 
And so it's kind of like, you know, what might happen in a family where you actually tap back into a previous fight that you've had. And I agree that, like, it's a logical thing for Silas to assume, Vic, you're the monster, you're the one hiding up here, and you have a big metal thing on your face and stuff. So it's not really Silas's fault for thinking of Vic as the monster, but Vic might have also almost been trapping him and saying, like, no, remember, I actually view you as the monster for doing this to me. Okay, so and he could have said that it's, differently. It's kind of like Vic, Vic is saying it from his own perspective, even though most people observing it would agree with you that, like, Silas... Vic, you do kind of look like the monster. I'm going to go with Silas on this one. But I can see where Vic is coming from. But see, Vic could have said something along the lines of, you know, like, no, you're the monster. But he says, it's weird that you thought I meant me. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's weird that he thinks it's weird. (laughs) Oh, okay. I gotcha. So for you, it would have, the idea is fine. But for you, it would have just been him turning around and saying, like, no, you're the monster. You created me like this or whatever. Right. Yeah, yeah. But it is funny how how he actually, in that moment, turns, and that's when you finally actually see his face. And yeah, the, how it, how it's changed and right. And know, I think that's nice. Again, that's part of what I like about the directing of this scene is the fact that they don't give us a clear shot of him until that moment. They like build up to it, and then they have it really have more of a punch to it. Right. I also wanted to mention too when you were talking about the like uh, the stove and the pots and pans and stuff and. Then we see his his red eye reflecting in the metal, which, again, I think the darkness is nice because it makes that red eye kind of pop out in an interesting way. Yeah. But I think what they are also doing in this scene is they are purposefully juxtaposing Cyborg with these utensils. Hmm. Like, here are all these spatulas and cooking utensils. There's these pots and pans. There's this stove, refrigerator, all stainless steel. And then here's this Cyborg right next to it. So it almost like subconsciously lets us to think like, is, is he another one of these tools or is he actually a person, you know? So I think that was just also a good juxtaposition or whoever decided to make it all like stainless steel in uh, design was a good call. Well, also the idea that maybe he should be viewing his new body as a tool rather than like a curse or something. uh, Right. Yeah. He, you know, it's a good start for a character arc though, because Right now, he says, and he has a good point, like, I've got this alien thing inside of me. I don't know what to make of it. I also have to worry about whether I'm going to be a threat to other people. Will I be able to control this alien force or will it actually do something out of my control? Which it kind of does, you know, at certain points later. Sure. And so he's he has some good points. And plus, he's the one that has to live in it. So he kind of has the right to have his own thoughts about it. But it's a good start to an arc because later he can kind of come to terms with accepting himself and his powers by the end. And so, you know, to me, it's a really good starting point for the character. Yeah. And Cyborg's character arc, to me, is one of the strongest things in the movie. Definitely. And it plays off of the fact that, you know, Man of Steel had that alien invasion mm-hmm. and sort of everything sort of spun from there. So that's uh, an interesting uh, correlation. Yeah. Another nice connection to the previous movies. Um you and I both really wanted this to be like the conclusion to the Dawn of Justice trilogy. Right. Uh, and, you know, it is the conclusion to the trilogy. It, it didn't live up to all our expectations of what we would have wanted it to be like coming off of BVS. But there are things like this where, yeah, he talks about mankind and they have been through an alien invasion and now they're going to be worried about another alien invasion. Like that's to me, that's a pretty nice little thread through the trilogy. Sure. Yeah. So we see Vic. Uh, he's got the hoodie on. Property of Gotham City. What do you think about the hoodie, like, inside late at night? 
is that just because he's really ashamed of himself and so he's always kind of covering up like when he's out seeing diana on the street to me i liked the hoodie there here it seems almost kind of very restrictive that he has the hoodie on but what do, what do you think about that uh you know a part of me wonders if they were just trying to save money on visual effects but could be yeah. of course based on how we've been analyzing the scene so far it sort of makes sense to sort of hide it yeah so i mean it's a cool look Uh, i don't really have issue with it yeah you know i I guess as as you mentioned the fact that he's ashamed of what he is it makes sense for him to try to cover it up yeah now with the barry allen scene before we talked about how we got a very very quick little uh hint of barry's speed powers um and that was his introduction scene, but it was mostly about him and his dad. Here, it's mostly about Vic and his dad, but we get some hints here. We see his hand, uh, and I really like how they did his hand kind of along the countertop. Uh, and then we see where he says, I, I wake up different. So he's kind of still getting new powers. That's kind of a nice little piece of exposition. And then we see his levitation. Um, so what did you think about the little, like, quick little tastes of his powers? Uh, I, th- I thought it was pretty cool when I... F- first saw the movie obviously deleted footage has come out of when he actually first has his first flight mm-hmm. and that would have been i think cool mm-hmm. presumably i maybe that wasn't his first flight i don't know maybe uh That's, yeah it seemed like it was him trying to figure it out yeah yeah you know i i thought it was pretty interesting how they showed that uh here i think uh, and as you mentioned it's a it's a nice parallel to the previous scene with with barry mm-hmm have having this father son dynamic and briefly showing the power because you know you are introducing these characters for the first time on screen it's a good way to sort of uh tease them a bit and sort of give you a taste of what to expect from them yeah and i like the idea of uh having him just continually developing new stuff throughout i think that's kind of a nice way to do it rather than a hero that just has defined powers that are the same all the way through it's kind of interesting to have a character where something new might pop up from him each action scene you know yeah definitely and the fact that the fact that he gets his powers got his powers from the mother box it opens up uh, those possibilities where i think originally the when the fir- character first appeared in the comics uh that wasn't the case yeah now, we, we mentioned already the uh, alien invasion kind of connection to Man of Steel, but that's also obviously just a setup for this movie. Like, it's you know letting the audience know, hey, there might be an alien invasion around the corner and it might be related to the mother box. Um, so that's just, you know, kind of plotting 101 to kind of like have that going forward. But I like the directing here because when he talks about how he has to worry about whether he's the next alien invasion he like really steps up in a kind of an intimidating way to his dad. And he's actually taller than his dad. So he's like looking down on him with this cyborg eye. And he's saying like, yeah, I've got to wonder about if I'm a threat. And he kind of is making Silas feel like a little bit uncomfortable. Like he's basically like putting it right to his dad. Like, Hey, do you feel comfortable if I walk right up to you like this after I've just shown you my like new powers and stuff? And if you, my father who created me, aren't even comfortable with me like this, then imagine like mankind is not going to accept me like this either. Yeah. And especially because just a few moments earlier, he told his father that he did lose his son. So it's sort of like, I'm not your son anymore. I'm something different. Mm -hmm. So that adds to that, 
that sort of intimidation. Yeah. So uh, to me, lots of uh, good stuff throughout the whole scene. Uh, this kind of closes out the apartment part. So I do want to say before I'm just finishing off Howard's a little bit, we're about 21 minutes into the movie. And for me, in my personal opinion, these first 21 minutes are actually pretty strong. Like to me, the cell phone footage of Superman at the very start, to me, I was not thrilled with that as the way to like kick off this uh, grandiose epic Justice League movie shot in profile with, you know, the mustache issues going on and whatever. But aside from the cell phone footage, to me, I think it's a decent introduction of Batman. I like the montage for the world missing Superman. That really, like, worked for me. I like Diana's uh, introduction. I like Barry's introduction. I like Aquaman. Uh, And then I like this one with Cyborg. So, like, for me, when I was processing the movie and seeing it for, like, the second time or third time, at this point, if I'm keeping a tally, I'm like, so far they've got some good scenes and they're setting some things up nicely. So, like, for me, the first 21 minutes are a lot more good scenes than than weakness or misses. Um, although we're about to get into Howard's thing, which I'll have to <laughs> I'll have to revise my comments at that point. <laughs> but I don't know, like like how do you feel like like this? We we're kind of like through the introductions of everybody. How do you feel like about the first 21 minutes? I I personally felt it was a little too fast paced. Mm-hmm. True. It, too much happening all you know all at once i felt like it could have been like a slower burn and sort of ease us in a little you know a little better the scenes yeah that's true it, i agree like they they did cover a lot of ground in that 21 minutes yeah and the scenes uh while the framework of the scenes were solid there were you know elements within each scene that bothered me so okay yeah i think that's fair but for the, for the yeah for the most part you know it was, it was a good each each scene was framed well, but you know, again, the little things, the little in each scene that that bothered me, and sort of overall in the movie, that's sort of the case. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I think that's fair. Yeah, for me, I'm kind of like I like do this check in with myself, like you know how how is this movie actually going to this point? And for me, it uh, you know, and I I like the movie okay overall, um, but for me, this beginning so far, it's pretty good is actually like what i would say for my personal opinion now that being said okay let's go to howard so howard's mopping up and uh he's just kind of there by himself now at this point late at night uh doing the night cleanup and he hears some rattling and stuff uh, over in the room then he comes through the sliding doors and there's like this red you know lighting to everything and he walks up and he like (laughs) he walks up to this like plastic you know like curtain thing and then they like film it from behind the curtain and then he just pulls it aside and has this like stupid look on his face. Like <laughs> he doesn't show concern or fear or like awe or anything. He like literally is just like doop to do. Let me open this up. Like I could I could not believe that that was like what they did for that scene. I think it was supposed to like be tense like oh something dangerous like and it to me fell flat. So <laughs> I don't know what was your reaction to that? I totally agree with you. And obviously they were going for some sort of horror scene here. (laughs) And actually going back to uh, commenting about how I feel about the movie thus far, I felt like that first Batman scene where he fights the parademon was very out of place. In that respect, I think had that not been at the beginning, Mm -hmm. this scene would have been uh, a stronger even with his dumb look because you don't know what he saw and but we do get an idea of 
especially with that sound, uh, that mm-hmm. it is something possibly alien and something horrific. Okay, so you're saying be- because we had a very clear scene with the parademons, there's no mystery about what that sound was and what those are. Like, oh, those must be parademons. Exactly. Is that like what you're saying? Absolutely. Okay, so it, it's supposed to raise this question of like what was in there, but the question is already obvious. Right. Or the answer is obvious. Right. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. That might, like, I hadn't thought of that explicitly, but that also might be part of why I just felt like that little scene did not work. It might be also because there's no actual mystery about what's behind there, and yet they they tried to, like, hide it and leave it ambiguous. Right, exactly. To me, we'll get to it later, but Silas is abducted in his apartment, and to me, that one is also a short little abduction, something kind of scary is going on. And to me, the Silas one is like head and shoulders better, uh, better directed, better executed than this uh, Howard one. Well, yeah. And his reaction to the parademon is more realistic. Yeah. My understanding is that how Howard scenes were added later. So that may be part of it. Yep. I think that's probably right. All right, but I think that does it for us, our analysis of scenes eight and nine of Justice League. Uh, Next up, we're going to be going back over to Wonder Woman as we get towards the end of that film. Um, But as usual, we would like to thank the Suicide Squadcast and Man of Steel Answers. And if you want to get some more content from us, uh, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash jlupodcast. And we're actually going to be dropping a Watchmen full commentary. So if you're interested in Watchmen at all, you can hear us talk about that movie as well. So check that out at Patreon.